Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The UAW strike spreads to more cities. Pilots at United approve a four-year contract, and some could see a pay raise of over 40%. Today on the show, the Kentucky AFL-CIO, the president, stepping down, and culinary workers in Las Vegas ready to walk out. Welcome to the Monday, October 2nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Bill Londrigan, president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO, KY.AFLCIO.org. And Bill is stepping down from his post after decades, two decades in the labor movement. Longtime leader, also comes from the building and construction trade. In a recent blog post, he said, he believed Kentucky's labor family will rise to the occasion to choose a new union president at the Union Federation's upcoming convention in December. He went on to say, have always been aware of the long-stored and powerful history of Kentucky's labor movement and have felt a deep respect and gratitude for the service and sacrifice of those who have toiled in the fields to build Kentucky's labor movement, which has bettered the lives of millions of workers and their families. I'll tell you, they're going to miss him. Bill's a great guy. Been on the show a number of times. You may recall a couple times in the past uh, two, three years, we had him on the show when they had that horrific flooding in Kentucky. Bill didn't waste any time and got all the unions together to help those families out. So we'll talk about uh, what happened. Over the last uh, couple of decades, and by the way, Kentucky is home to two of the biggest Ford plants in Louisville and the GM Corvette plant in Bowling Green. We'll talk about that. I'm sure he's got a couple of comments on the UAW strike, and I'll get to that in a moment. As far as the uh, the future for unions, he's very encouraged. He says there's many good signs for the future of the labor movement in Kentucky, especially organizing young workers and we'll talk about that our second guest on the show is ted papa george now ted is the secretary treasurer of the culinary union in las vegas that would be local 226 website culinary union 226.org and just last week they voted to uh, to go on strike they didn't set a date or anything but it was well over 90 percent of the members and we're talking pretty much shutting down the strip on las vegas a little background on ted he's a native of that area been a culinary union member since 1982 listen to this he worked as a bus boy at the sands the bar back at the sundance and a bartender at the mint horseshoe club and riviera hotel as a single father of two young kids he wanted to protect health care and job security for his family. So he got involved as a negotiating committee member and played a key role as a picket captain. That was in the nine-month horseshoe strike going back to 1990. Now, after that ended, successfully, I might add, he had the opportunity to join the Culinary Union staff. That was in 91. 
and Ted spent the last 30 years organizing union and non-union workers who are fighting for respect and dignity at work. He says he dedicated most of his life to developing worker leadership programs and building power inside workplaces with culinary union members on the job. Now, uh, what may happen here is a strike at 22 casino resort properties on the Strip between the largest employers, MGM Resorts, Caesars Entertainment Corporation, and Wynn Encore Resorts. Now, this union represents 60,000 hospitality workers in Nevada. 53,000 are based in Las Vegas and are in active negotiations with the casino hotel employers for a new five-year contract. So uh, he's going to get into all the details as our second guest right here on America's Workforce, Ted Papa George of the Culinary Workers Union. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income real estate equity investment options to clients across the nation. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. United Auto Workers expanded their two-week strikes against Detroit automakers Friday, adding 7,000 workers at a Ford plant in Chicago and a General Motors assembly plant near Lansing, Michigan. Union President Sean Fain told workers in a video appearance Friday that the talks have not broken down, but the strikes were escalated because Ford and GM have refused to make meaningful progress in those talks. Jeep maker Stellantis was spared from the third round of strikes. Apparently, they're making some progress there. The GM plant in Delta Township, which is near Lansing, makes large crossover SUVs such as the Chevrolet Traverse and Buick Enclave. A nearby metal parts stamping plant with 300 workers will remain open, Fain said. The Chicago Ford plant makes the Ford Explorer and Explorer Police Interceptors as well as the Lincoln Aviator SUV. The Explorer Interceptor is the nation's top-selling police vehicle, by the way. Sadly, says Fain, despite our willingness to bargain, Ford and GM have refused to make meaningful progress at the table. He said union bargainers are still talking to all three companies, and he's hopeful they can reach a deal. General Motors, not too optimistic with manufacturing head Gerald Johnson accusing the union of calling more strikes just for the headlines and not real progress. Now, the UAW has vowed to hit the automakers harder if it does not receive what it calls substantially improved contract offers as part of an unprecedented simultaneous labor campaign against all three Detroit automakers. By the way, uh, UAW members' wins at the bargaining table could benefit non-union auto workers in the South, as according to a story on NPR. Low wages, low union density are among the main reasons why automakers like Nissan and Hyundai operate factories in southern states like Mississippi and Alabama. However, a new UAW contract, you know, eventually it's going to happen, with significant wage gains would likely pressure these companies to raise wages in order to make unionization less appealing to their workforce. How many times have I said this on the show? Unions raise all boats. And we'll see what happens here. United Airlines pilots have received a new four-year contract that is the costliest ever 
for the U.S. carrier, providing a cumulative increase in total compensation. Hope you're sitting down for this. As much as 40.2% over the life of the agreement. Pretty much what the UAW wants. The contract with $10.2 billion in value, this is over four years, now leaves Southwest Airlines alone among the four biggest U.S. carriers without a new post-pandemic pilot accord. The United Agreement was approved by 82% of those voting, according to the Airline Pilots Association. More than 97% of all pilots cast ballots. Now, the pilots will join counterparts at Delta and American Airlines in using an industry-wide shortage of pilots as leverage to secure their first post-pandemic contracts with not only notable pay raises, but multiple changes to improve scheduling and work-life balance. The new contract includes $1.7 billion in new policies that affect quality of life, such as increased profit sharing and improved pay during training. Garth Thompson is the chair of the Pilots Union, their unit that bargained the contract. He said the journey that brought us to this day was long, difficult, and not without turmoil and upheaval. However, the journey also reinvigorated our union, reminding us of what we can accomplish through involvement and resolve. The pilots also benefited from the fact that they were all negotiating at the same time, allowing them to push for similar terms in some areas. Collective bargaining, that's what it's all about. Invoking the major questions doctrine, a federal district judge in Texas ruled last week that President Biden lacks authority to raise a minimum wage for federal contractors to $15 per hour. Now, previously, a judge in Arizona had rejected the major questions argument and upheld that rule. Now, the $15 per hour minimum wage went into effect for 300,000 federal contractors in January of 2022. That rule, which implements a 2021 executive order, was promulgated under the authority delegated by Congress and the Procurement Act, and it raised the minimum wage from 10.10 per hour, which was set by President Obama in 2015. Raising the minimum wage for federal contractors would cost $17 billion over 10 years, and a lot of conservatives just didn't want to go down that road, so they found a judge to repeal it. And you know, the repeal will probably be taken to court as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bill Londrigan, president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. 
with more work than ever before. The Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Before we get to our first guest, just want to mention that the workers at Kaiser Permanente, huge company, are thinking about going on strike this week. The big problem, staffing shortages, which jeopardize patient care. So multiple unions have voted to authorize strikes at the company starting Wednesday through Friday. This is pretty popular. They do these three-day strikes to call attention to what they do on the job. Now, if a deal is not reached, it could be. It could be the largest strike in healthcare history. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. All right. Let's go to the state of Kentucky right now. Welcome, a dear friend. Been on the show many, many times. And he is uh, he's at the end of the road. Well, for this road, there might be other roads. Bill Londrigan is president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO. He's had that position for 24 years, and he recently announced that he's going to step down from that position. Bill Londrigan, brother, how we, I, this had to be a tough decision for you. Yeah, sure. It definitely was. Uh, I mean, you know, after all this time and, uh, you know, my devotion to the labor movement, uh, yeah, it was a tough decision, uh, but it was something I thought uh, I, I needed to make, uh, you know, to try and transition into doing something else and probably bringing some younger folks in to take over the helm here. And uh, that was, you know, one of my considerations, of course, you know, bringing in some uh, younger uh, folks that are uh, can continue energizing the labor movement here in Kentucky. So uh, tough choice, but uh, something that uh, I felt that was it was the right time. Uh, 24 years, I think, is uh, a good run. And, uh, of course, you know, you have your ups and downs and all that stuff over the years. But, uh, you know, it's been a labor of love for me. And, you know, as I wrote in my email to the executive board, uh, you know, I'll never leave the labor movement. I'm just going to make a little bit of a change and continue doing something else uh, to, to help working people. And that's, that's yeah. what my whole, whole life's been about in, in my career. Yeah, get away from the day-to-day grind. I, I get it. I, I understand that. And that's a tough state. <laughs> I mean, it's a right-to-work state. A lot of, uh, lot of conservatives down there. And I know you try to change things, but you've got good things happening. You and I have talked about the, well, for instance, the, the Ford plants. 
You got the mm-hmm. Ford plant in uh, in Louisville. Hey, how is that going, by the way, right now? Well, you know, in terms of what we're seeing down in Louisville, of course, you mentioned we've got two of the uh, largest Ford plants uh, in the system: Louisville Assembly Plant, Kentucky Truck Plant. Uh, you know, we got eight to ten thousand uh, workers in these facilities, and you know, we've had several demonstrations and uh, activities that have gone on uh, to energize the members and keep them abreast of what's going on, and to make sure that they understand how important it is uh, for them to respond when they're called on to, to walk out and to support their uh, fellow uh, members across the United States. And, you know, we've had a great response. We've had some really excellent rallies down there. And I think uh, folks are energized and they, they see the, the need that they have to stick together. And when their time is, is called to strike, uh, they're ready to go. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, haven't, we haven't gotten the call yet, but uh, if we do, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, this is going to uh, make a huge difference in, in our battle with uh, the big three as well as with Ford. Let me ask you this. There's some conservatives that are saying, you know what, we're, we're pushing too fast here on electric vehicles and the, the cars are kind of pricey. And, and they do have one good point that, you know, these cars are, and trucks are a little bit easier to assemble and it may take away some uh, some union jobs. What's what are they saying down in in Kentucky about that, Bill? Well, it's it's very interesting. It's a of course a very uh, topical discussion uh, about you know these battery plants and things that are going on here in Kentucky. We've got uh, one of the biggest uh, you know investments we've ever had by Ford uh, and SK Innovations, a five point five billion dollar battery plant that they're building in Glendale. Uh, by the way, a hundred percent union uh, with union trades. Uh, we've also got the project labor agreement on a another billion dollar battery plant that's going to be built in Hop. Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Uh, so the building part of it, it looks like we're doing pretty good as far as our, you know, project labor agreements are concerned and the thousands of members we've got working at these plants now. But as you go forward and look and see, well, you know, what's going to come in terms of the production, uh, you know, we're hoping that we'll be able to strike a deal with these uh, with these companies like Ford and, and make sure that we get union shop conditions in these, in these facilities like we've had in these other places. Uh, you know, quite clearly, it's not going to be be anywhere uh, the same in terms of the manufacturing process that we, we see in the assembly plants. So the uh, requirement for manpower uh, might be a little bit less uh, in terms of a comparison between that and a regular, uh, you know, vehicle assembly facility. Uh, but there'll still be, you know, a considerable amount of new jobs created uh, as a result of these plants being built. And, you know, we want to make those union jobs, Ed, and that's, that's the goal. And, you know, to compare it to a, a traditional assembly plant is probably, you know, not the best way to look at it. You know, all these jobs are going to be added jobs, and we don't know what's going to happen in the future, obviously, but uh, we're hoping that the companies will transition uh, if they are doing so in a way that makes sense and a way that preserves jobs and preserves our collective bargaining rights. Uh, that's that's what we want to see going forward. Uh, you know, of course, there's always a concern you know, with new technologies being introduced in any workplace, because normally the goal of that is to replace labor. Uh, so, you know, we're hoping that the, this 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 transition, if it comes, you know, as it moves forward, which it's going to, uh, is done in a way that doesn't damage our, our workforce, our communities, and our unions. Well, you mentioned the uh, the union workforce building those plants and the project labor agreements that you were able to accomplish. Was that kind of difficult or were they pretty receptive to that? 
Actually, they were pretty receptive to it. Uh, of course, we have such a long-term relationship with Ford, even though you know the strike is going on at several Ford facilities, and we haven't got a new collective bargaining agreement with Ford. Uh, you know, the billing trades in UAW here in Kentucky and Louisville and Bowling Green, uh, you know, they have worked together for decades uh, to not only build the facilities but expand them uh, multiple times and to maintain them. Uh, so we've been doing that under union conditions for for decades. Uh, so there's a great relationship there. Uh, and I think Ford recognized if we're going to build a $5 billion facility with buildings that are literally a mile long, they need the skilled building trades unions to build these plants. And that's, that's what they came to us and worked together. And we had a recent experience with another uh, company. Uh, I believe this one was out of Korea, too, but I could uh, have to be checking on that. But uh, we also were able to strike a deal with them uh, because, look, uh, the workforce uh, to build these facilities are primarily through our union building trades. And they know that if they're going to get the job done, on time, on budget, on schedule, that's the best way to go. Uh, and it's actually working out uh, extremely well uh, as far as the you know progress of these plants are concerned right now. So uh, things were very positive along those lines, you know. And we're hoping, as I said, that, you know, as they go into production and the jobs are, you know, being announced for, for when the facilities are completed, uh, that our unions will be in there with our workers and our collective bargaining agreements uh, will be enacted and people will you know, benefit from these uh, far and away better than they would otherwise. I hear you. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the right to work law there, which you challenged some years back. And I'm just wondering if you're going to take that on again. You, you saw what happened in the state of Michigan. And a lot of that mm-hmm. had to do with the fact that they were able to uh, redo the maps there. And you know how, how gerrymandering has affected so many states in this country. I'm just wondering, um, do you see that on the horizon? I know it's a very difficult state for, for unions, but what, what do you, what's your take on that? Well, uh, as far as getting anything, uh, you know, reversed through the legislative process, Ed, that's uh, probably not on the table at this point. Uh, you know, as you know, uh, the balance in our Kentucky House is 80-20 uh, in favor of the Republicans. And, uh, of course, it's 31-6 uh, to 6 there in the Senate. So the numbers don't add up for us to, you know, make any significant change in that uh, on that issue. Uh, but, you know, again, as you mentioned, we did take it to the state Supreme Court and, you know, it's put decision four to three that that we lost on. Uh, since then, I think we've elected several new Supreme Court justices that are much more favorable to the interests of working people. Uh, and, you know, the possibility always exists for, you know, you know, having another case go up and try to get it resolved at the court again. So that would be the only, uh, you know, method for us to, to try to overturn it since we don't have ballot initiatives here. So that, that you know, everything that uh, we have to do to change the Constitution has to go through the legislature and stuff. But let me just add one thing, okay? As you mentioned, this was enacted uh, in 2017, uh, you know, our opponents, they think that if you pass right to work, you're going to kill the union movement, that you're going to get hard and will go away and things of this nature. That's what they hope for. Ed. And I can tell you here in Kentucky, it's been pretty much the exact opposite. You know, our unions have remained strong. Our members have remained committed and dues paying. Uh, we haven't seen any significant change in any way, shape, or form due to right to work here, uh, which I think is a really, you know, positive, uh, you know, it's just such a 
you know, a reflection of the people in Kentucky, the workers here, who realize how important it is to have a collective bargaining agreement, uh, otherwise being at will employees, and how much they cherish the fact that the union movement is protecting their rights on the job. So I really think it's just, uh, you know, been a, uh, I think just a real testament to the history and tradition of unionism in Kentucky, which is extremely strong and long. So uh, right to work, you know, we're going to keep on going on and on, uh, regardless of how many, you know, attacks that they put on us. Uh, you know, they've been working at us on, on workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, and other issues. And uh, we've been able to at least push back on as many of these that come forward that are going to be damaging the working families and to our, our unions. Well, let's talk more about that because uh, it's so important that we get the right people in the legislature. And I know you've been doing a good job on that over the years, 24 years, as a matter of fact. Bill Londrigan, who is the president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO, joining us on our live line. By the way, the website, ky.aflcio.org. We'll continue with him later in the show. We're going to Las Vegas. We're going to check in with the culinary workers. That would be Local 226, who voted last week by a 95% margin to strike 22 hotels, which could pretty much shut down the strip. We'll talk to Ted Papa George later in the show. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate 
Those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to Kentucky Rejoin. Bill Londrigan, president of the Kentucky State Labor Federation, who recently announced he's stepping down 24 years as president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO, longtime history with the building trades. So, you know, walk me through this here. Now, you're good until, what is it, to the end of this year? And what's the process of picking a, uh, a new president, Bill? Well, uh, you know, it'll be an election, uh, you know, and something that is important for folks to realize when we talk about unions, of course. We're democratic uh, institutions that, you know, vote by majority rule. And I think that's something that people need to really understand how important it is to us to have uh, elections of folks uh, and we'll be looking for somebody that will be able to fill the role and you know have an election in December uh, our convention is December 4th and 5th and that's a Monday and a Tuesday and then we will go forward from there and uh, our constitution allows the president to stay on for another 60 days to transition the uh, the new president into their role uh, which of course will bring me into the legislative session there in January through up through February to make sure uh, that the new person uh, gets the contacts made and, and tries to get acclimated to the process. So uh, it's just one of those things where you've got to, uh, you know, have a person that's interested, that's committed, that's got a great trade union uh, background and, and uh, that, that desire to, to make something happen and uh, get them in the role and try to get them up to speed on how to, how to work on a day-to-day basis with all their affiliates and all the uh, folks that we deal with every day. So uh, I'm optimistic. I, I really am. I was really optimistic that uh, there are some younger folks out here that uh, have shown some interest and uh, I think may be, you know, suitable to be replacements uh, in this role. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with them as they transition into a, this new position. So, again, we'll just have an election in, in December. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's uh, other constitutional officers that will be uh, uh, up for election which is our secretary treasurer and our recording secretary uh, and, our, and, uh, and our vice president. So, uh, and those folks are, are going to run again that, that are in those positions and I fully expect them to be reelected. So uh, looking forward to the process and, and finding someone that uh, can pick up, the, pick up the torch and carry it forward. Ed. You uh, talked to us in the first segment about the, the legislature there, and it, it's a tough road. You know, hardline conservatives, and it's hard to make inroads into that. What, what, do you, what do you see here in 2024? I mean, this would be the time where we can groom some union brothers and sisters and maybe take on some of these so we can get uh, get the right people in office. Do you see any of that happening right now in Kentucky? Yes, we're always looking for uh, good candidates, uh, union members, if we can get them, uh, other like-minded individuals to run. You know, as you mentioned, they gerrymandered the heck out of this place, and, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, – uh, tax that took place the last time. In fact, in the last election cycle, it just uh, just as a result of gerrymandering, they targeted five legislators. Just so happens that they were five of the best labor supporters we had. One was a UAW member as well. Uh, and they took them all out due to gerrymandering, almost totally, uh, in, in fact. Uh, so... You know, it's difficult to get, uh, you know, get folks in these offices that have been gerrymandered uh, so, so, so blatantly and, and ridiculously. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, we try to make inroads over there. Uh, you know, last session they, they came up with an autonomous vehicle bill that would essentially give them the right to run 
driverless vehicles and trucks on, on the roads of Kentucky and uh, with the help of some of our Republicans that, that were not uh, in favor of this uh, transition to uh, autonomous vehicles, we were able to, to stop that bill. And then, uh, you know, the governor actually had a veto it after the fact, after we, it came back again on us. But, you know, those are the type of things that we're working with folks on to make sure that, uh, you know, they see that there's uh, a real impact on, on jobs in general, not just union jobs, but jobs in general, uh, and trying to get some of these folks on our side. So, you know, it takes a lot of work and uh, a lot of, you know, cajoling and, you know, on twisting, whatever you want to call it, to, you know, get some of the folks on the other side to, you know, work with us on some of these issues. And, of course, you know, our Democratic friends in the uh, Kentucky, you know, House caucus and Senate caucus, you know, they're constantly putting fourth bills that would reverse right to work for instance or you know bring back prevailing wage and things of that nature and stuff uh because you know they want to demonstrate to us that they they stand with us and again we've had to make some inroads with some of the republicans to try to you know help us on some of these issues and some of them have been very helpful uh, the problem is the numbers of course right <laughs> it's all a numbers game you know if you ain't got the numbers uh, to push something over the top or you get a majority vote you know you're in a very disadvantageous position and that's pretty much where we find ourselves as a union movement, but also as workers of Kentucky, all workers, uh, because you know where they rolled back work uh, unemployment insurance uh, in the 2022 session, you know, from 26 weeks maximum benefits down to 12. Oh boy! And now, and then the last session in the 23, we were able to get the convincing that they should bring you know, get everybody back up to 16. So we were able to make a little progress uh, based on the you know the lack of you know the 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 clock that they turned back on work, on unemployment insurance, which was really significant. Um, you know, they implemented these, you know, crazy job search requirements that people are having an extremely difficult time, you know, complying with and, and then losing their benefits in, in, on a large scale. So, you know, we're going to come back with the, during this session to try to adjust some of the problems that they created in our unemployment insurance system. But, you know, that's just that seems to be the way they think, you know. Uh, yeah. Anything they could do to roll back rights and uh, uh, any benefits for workers in general. It isn't just union workers, but all workers, uh, they're hell-bent on doing it. And uh, we've got to be there to push back. And, you know, the only voice that working people have in Frankfurt are, are us as the AFL-CIO and our affiliated unions and our allies and some of our organizations that have, you know, similar uh, agendas in place. So uh, we're always going to be there, and folks uh, folks know it. So, you know, when they think they're just going to roll right over us, they usually get a surprise, and they find that, you know, when things aren't exactly right, they, they need to be addressed, and we try to bring it to everybody's attention and, you know, do the best we can on this situation. Boy, if there's one thing I remember about you, Bill, first of all, you're so accessible, and uh, I remember getting you on the line when they had those horrific floods in your state and how you were able to mobilize so many people, union and non-union workers, to help those who were devastated by those floods. I mean, they, some of those homes were literally washed away. I mean, that first of all, that that's got to make you feel pretty darn good. I mean, over the years, I mean, there's so many things that you were able to accomplish and I just, we just got a couple of minutes left here. That's got to be one of them as far as what you've done and what you've accomplished over, over that, what, two plus decades as Kentucky president of the AFL-CIO. Oh, I appreciate that, Ed. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, it's basically been a labor of love and uh, certainly uh, something new every day, pretty much. A new challenge, a new way of looking at things, uh, uh, something else that you have to address. 
and again, floods and uh, tornadoes and natural disasters that have you know hit Kentucky as well as so many other places uh, uh, currently, uh, it's something that we rallied around to to try to make sure folks were you know getting back to normal as best we could and we've you know worked with all of our affiliates there's no way to take credit for this stuff without having you know a whole team of folks and supporters and you know affiliated unions that had the same goals in mind uh and we you know were beneficiaries of a lot of 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 uh, contributions and and work from other folks that came from around the country. So uh, it wasn't just a, a Kentucky thing. You know, we raised uh, significant amounts of money from our labor family across the United States uh, who generously gave us a significant amount of money that we were able to, you know, get to our union members and their families uh, to do so many different things, whether it was putting a roof on their house or whether it was getting a new appliance or paying insurance or paying mortgage or paying storage fees. Uh, uh, you know, the money came out, and so did a lot of the, the, the people power that went down there uh, and helped, you know, put put people's houses back together again and clean up, uh, uh, you know, houses that had been, you know, devastated by, by water damage. And, you know, I was down there for several days with a, with a group that came out of Florida, uh, the great trade unionist named John Delgado, who uh, retired to Florida from New York City and brought a whole crew of folks with him. It was just, uh, you know, an uplifting experience for us, but uh, also very, you know, uh, devastating to see folks have their, you know, worlds turned upside down and, you know, wonder where they're going to lay their heads down at night. You know, it's just really yeah. something you got to have to deal with. But uh, anyway, well, it was always a team effort, Ed, you know, <laughs> all the way down the line. Yeah, that's what labor is, and that's what labor does. All right, Bill, we're going to leave it on that note. I appreciate you coming to the table today to talk about what's been going on in Kentucky, especially, I, I tell you, I remember that story so well, that, that horrific flooding over there, and you didn't waste any time putting a team together. So uh, thank you for that, and I'm sure everybody's been thanking you for the work that you have done over 24 years as president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO. Website is ky.aflcio.org. You take care, and if you don't mind, you know, once uh, once the transition happens, let's get the new guy on the show. How's that sound? Yeah, the new person, whoever that might be. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you, Ed, for having me on and uh, and the work that you're doing to, to spread the word. I think it's uh, absolutely critical, and it's really having an impact. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ted Papa George, Secretary Treasurer of the Culinary Workers Union, talking about going on strike on the Las Vegas Strip. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. 
America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple. Just go to AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada right now. And joining us on our live line is Ted Papa George. Ted is the secretary treasurer of the Culinary Workers Union. That would be Local 226. And uh, I love their logo here. One job should be enough. Boy, that took me back to another time in America. I remember when I was growing up, my dad, a steel worker, worked at U.S. Steel for over 40 years, and he was the sole wage earner in the family. My mom, stay-at-home mom. And uh, we got by. We got by. Different world today. You've got people taking one, two, three jobs, both the husband and wife working because wages are so crappy. Ted Welcome to America's Workforce. I want you to tell me what's going on with the culinary workers there. I understand that uh, everybody seems to be ready to go on strike because working conditions, well, they need a lot of improvement. I'm going to let you pick it up from there, brother. Go ahead. Uh, Well, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. Um, It's great talking to union brothers and sisters. But, guys, I was born and raised in Las Vegas. I worked in the hotels. My parents worked in the hotels. And there's there's a, a different moment in time right now. These giant corporations used the pandemic to really cut back on workers and expand the workload. And now they're doing incredibly well. They're setting records with profits. The room uh, rates are through the roof, 30% higher than pre-pandemic room rates. But they're telling you that maybe they don't want to clean your room, but you still got to pay those high rates. And so what we've seen is our members have said, look, enough's enough. Now, we've been negotiating with the biggest employers on the Las Vegas Strip since April, and we haven't made any progress at all. So the membership has voted and the negotiating committee decided to move forward with a strike vote, an authorization vote that would give the right for me as the chief negotiator to call a strike uh, at any time, which would affect over initially 22 uh, casino resorts on the strip. And so uh, I think that um, it's time to send a message to these companies that they've got to do the right thing and, and get to get to bargaining for a fair contract. Ted, how many workers are we talking about? And I'm seeing some big names here. You got Mirage, you got Hilton Grand Vacations, you got Wynn Encore Resorts, Sahara, Las Vegas, Rio, Tropicana, and, of course, the Trump Hotel. Uh, how many workers collectively are we talking about? Well, look, at the end of the day, it's over 50,000 workers. Uh, the largest employers, MGM, Caesars, and Wynn Resorts, just those three employers cover 22 properties. And they're the vast bulk of our members. And, you know, that strike could involve up to 40,000 folks just with those three employers. 
Um, but this vote is not a strike. It's an authorization vote um, to allow the leadership at any time to call a strike if needed. We plan to go back to the bargaining table, and um, and if the, the companies are going to have an opportunity to do the right thing, this incredible wealth they're generating, they're going to have an opportunity to figure out how to share that wealth. Um, but if they don't, there's going to be a strike deadline. And yeah. we haven't set a deadline yet. Um, we'd love to get a contract. As you know, you know, nobody wants to go on strike, uh, but if we have to, we will. Yeah, the key word here is to share, and they don't want to do that, and we're seeing that. Well, we're seeing that with, with Hollywood strikers. We're seeing it with the UAW. I mean, it, it's amazing what's going on in America, and we got this gap, this huge gap between the rich and the poor, which is so sad. I mean, they're making a lot of money, to your point. But let's get back to the uh, the negotiations here. Um, I mean, how far apart are we? I mean, is, has any any progress been made here, Ted? Not really. Um, the, the, these companies they're they're struggling with the issue in Las Vegas that they're just it's not a one horse town anymore, and they're competing with you know the gig economy for workers. They're competing with warehousing and fulfillment centers, and and uh, this industry is have to realize that they're going to have to do a few things. They're going to have to make sure that workers get paid better. They're going to have to reduce the workload and they're going to have to make sure people have a path to grow, uh, like uh, to move up um, in order to attract workers that they need to, uh, to the industry. And look, the money, the wages is a big issue. Healthcare is a big issue and pensions and our members have pension and healthcare. We've got to negotiate enough money to protect that. But there's also this workload issue. Our guest room attendants that are cleaning the rooms are working harder than ever. Companies are going to have to reduce the workload. And but there's also issues of the right to strike over non-union restaurants and workers that want to join the union. The issue of safety on the job. The customers are a little different now than what they were pre-pandemic. And but being safe on the job is when you're dealing with the public, it's a critical issue. And then technology. The issue of artificial intelligence and the idea that, you know, we don't know what's coming down the, the road that could take our jobs. You can't stop technology, but we've negotiated a language that says they got to give us um, notice. They got to be able to give training and they got to be able to have a safety net for folks if you're caught up in this issue of technology. And these companies, they just have not made progress. And every one of those five big points are strike issues for us unfortunately, and we haven't seen progress that we need to see. If you don't mind, uh, can we zero in a little bit on artificial intelligence? Because, I mean, culinary workers, we're talking people that, you know, clean the rooms. We're talking about the bartenders, the people at the at the tables, the gaming tables here. Um, how, how would that be affected? How would they use artificial intelligence in that kind of environment, Ted? Well, we don't know. That's part of the problem. We don't know. And even these companies, there's, they can't tell you what type of technology they want to bring in. But what we've seen in the last five years, uh, robotic bartending machines, not the flashy ones for show, but service bar-oriented machines to eliminate uh, bartenders, um, mobile ordering that eliminates servers, uh, cashier machines, tablets that housekeepers use that direct them uh, to kind of a, it's a job speed up tool. 
to simply just pile more work on. Um, and every single piece of uh, the industry now has technology involved. And what we're saying is you can bring in the technology, but you got to give us notice. Our contract demands 180-day notice before the company can introduce technology in order to give us time to make sure people get trained up. If there's any reductions, there's other job training to get jobs elsewhere. And again, um, the training piece and this idea that at the end of the day, if I'm going to get laid off while I'm getting trained, I need to have a severance package and I got to have health care. Um, we fought for that in 2018. It, we almost had to go on strike over the issue. And it's a big issue again this year. And, you know, companies are going to have to work with employers, employees on this side of this thing because, we don't know what's coming down the pike, but we know there's going to be technology and we've got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, you've got a very powerful group of people there in so many ways. I know politically you've made some changes in your state and uh, it's still continuing to change because of the culinary workers. So, you know, keep us in touch on this issue. I want to take a look. You, you, you talked a little bit about restaurant workers and we're seeing and you know this, Ted, there's a lot of organizing going on in all industries right now because the climate is right and you mentioned the pandemic the pandemic changed the landscape you know you had these essential workers and i often say they were called heroes and now they're zeros hey you know what the pandemic is behind us you know get back to work um what what's going on with the restaurants there because i know there's a lot of a lot of non-union ones there we've seen a lot of organizing in vegas on that well we're proud of our Name the Culinary Workers Union. We're part of an international union, Unite Here. Um, but in Las Vegas, restaurants is a critical piece of our membership. And um, we're proud to say that uh, we've got you know, hundreds of union restaurants in all of these hotels uh, up and down the strip and downtown. But what happened is these large corporate restaurant uh, entities are building uh, restaurants freestanding in the malls. And in some of our union properties, and they're charging the same prices, um, but they're not paying anywhere near the same wages. Health care is completely unaffordable. And they're anti-union giant corporations. They're no mom-and-pop restaurants. They don't exist anymore. And, you know, it, it, we've got to deal with that. Now, our membership, we lost members uh, coming out of the pandemic. These companies didn't bring everybody back to work. And so some of these um, areas that uh, we are talking to the workers and they've come to us and said, look, working conditions have gotten worse. We want the right to join a union. They have the right. But at the end of the day, we've got to convince these large restaurant corporations to play ball. And we believe that we should have the right to uh, support those workers, including a strike if necessary. So we're proposing a change to our no strike language. It says that the hotel workers would have the right to support a strike uh, by these non-union restaurant workers. It's quite exciting. Um, and yeah. our members said enough's enough. Those should be union jobs, and we should have promotional opportunities there. And also those workers should have a decent uh, way of life. I see there's a specific website for that group. It's called Union Eats. Dot org unioneats.org and you can see what's going on with the restaurants in uh, Las thanks Vegas. For the, thanks for the plug. I appreciate that. 
Not a problem. That's what we're here for. We're here to support you, brother. Uh, the general website, too, for uh, 226 is culinaryunion226.org. Ted, another question here. Uh, with the conditions, the working conditions that you laid out and the fact that they're playing, you know, hard bargaining or little bargaining at all, um, are, are we are we losing members here? Are they saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with this. If you're not going to help us out, I'm leaving. Is that happening? No, that's not really what's happening. What what happened is these companies, they got addicted to the, you know, the lower uh, labor um, totals from the pandemic, the reductions. And let's be honest, everybody did extra, you know, everybody wanted to try to help out and get these companies through the pandemic and, and, and protect their jobs. And now the companies are addicted to that, um, you know, less workers doing more work mentality uh-huh. and, um, and, and, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And so now what's happened is, is that we're really in a moment and it's, I'm, I'm proud to say this. It's, it's not just our, our members. It's, you saw the UPS workers, you saw, see what's going on with the UAW and the writers um, that if we stick together and we stand together and we stand up and fight back, we can win. And mm-hmm. I don't know that, you know, labor has felt that way in the last few decades because of all the, the, the forces that have been arrayed against us. But, you know, especially with young people understanding, you know, Wall Street landlords buying up housing, buying up apartments and the rents going through the roof and the cost of gas, the cost of, you know, your your groceries, the idea of starting a family it, and, and owning your own home. It, it, it's the American dream, but it's becoming a bit of a nightmare. And so with young people especially, but also our members have said, you know what? we're going to, we're going to turn this around and, and if we, we, we can win. And, uh, I believe in that 100%. Um, we have the strike vote coming up and, um, I think we're going to pack the Thomas and Mac, uh, arena here in Las Vegas. Um, we have two big meetings coming up. And then after that, hopefully these companies are going to do the right thing, but you know, the morale is very high. And, um, and again, as I said, you know, no one wants to strike, but these companies are uh, printing money, mm-hmm. and it's about it, we just got to have our fair share. The, we want these companies to do well. We want them to succeed. If they've got to make money for us to make money, that's the bottom line. But at the end of the day, it's all Wall Street driven. It's a new world, it's oh, a yeah. different world. Yeah. And um, the only way you can stand up to these massive corporations is you you got to stick together. And you got to do it together, and and that's what we plan to do. Solidarity forever, brother. That's what it's all about. Yep. You you mentioned the printing money in, in the casinos are taking our money too. I want to add that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Ted Papa George is the secretary treasurer of the Culinary Workers Union. Website is culinaryunion two two six dot org. You stay safe and stay in touch. Good luck to you, brother. Keep in touch with us, okay? Absolutely, will do. Thank you so much. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow. The Ohio AFL CIO and a tribute to Tom Conway late president of the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. 
Find out more information online at labortools.com.